As we start this Advent season, we'll first get to hear from Bill Scheid, one of the Sunday school teachers, as he uh, brings to us the children's sermon. the first day of Advent. Advent's a time when we remember and celebrate the waiting and the hoping that we have in the promises of God. And it's a good waiting. Advent means coming. And you might be familiar with an Advent wreath or even an Advent calendar that we use to count the days to another celebration that is coming, Christmas. Now for Christians, Christmas is our time to remember that God in Jesus chose to be born as a human baby, to live with us on earth, and to become God's way of salvation for us. Most people feel excitement, expectation, even longing to receive some kind of present on Christmas. These feelings are pretty good reminders of the expectation, longing, and waiting that God's people in the long ago past, and even we as God's people today, experience in our wait for all of the promises of Christ's kingdom to be fulfilled. In Philippians 1.6, we're reminded that Christ will continue to bring to completion the good work that he began in us when we put our trust in him for that salvation. That work is the good work of changing and healing our hardened and broken hearts from our own selfishness and sin that we might love others more like Jesus does. As we wait for this completed work, we need to keep trusting him, keep learning from his word, and keep obeying his spirits leading in our lives. We still make mistakes and we still sin, but Christ's active work in us is filled with grace and we can, and it will continue until he comes again. When we let him, God makes this waiting really good. Today's Bible story is from the Gospel of Mark chapter five. And in it, Jesus teaches us something about time and waiting, about trust or faith, and about touch and action. Two main people in today's Bible story had rather different experiences of time and waiting. Jesus tells us of a man named Jairus who was a leader in the local synagogue. Jairus Jairus urgently needed Jesus to come to his house and touch his only daughter who was dying so that she might be healed. She was only 12 years old and Jairus was about to lose his baby girl. Well, Jesus agreed to go with Jairus, and so they started to his house. Then Jesus tells us of a woman who had a terrible bleeding problem for 12 years. She spent all her money on doctors, hoping that they could cure her, but things only got worse. Not only did she have physical pain, but she felt the emotional pain and isolation of needing to stay away from people because of this bleeding. Can you imagine being in quarantine for 12 years 
with no end in sight and then all your money running out? Well, Jairus was feeling anxious and desperate because his time was running out for his daughter. And the woman was feeling desperate because her suffering kept going on and on. There was nothing more they could do and no one else they could turn to. But now Jesus was right there. They had heard of the way he had healed others, but could they trust him? And what would others say if they went to Jesus now? Well, both of them made the choice to put their trust and faith in Jesus as the only one that could heal them. Nothing else seemed to matter at that time. But they had to do something active with this faith. They had to reach out to Jesus. And you know what? Jesus helped and healed them in ways they did not imagine. For the woman, Jesus not only stopped her bleeding, but against her greatest fears, Jesus encouraged her to come out of her isolation and tell her whole story right there in front of all the people. Jesus took away her shame and her fear, and he called her daughter, and she was set free. Her waiting was over, and now she had peace. For Jairus, who was watching Jesus take time to heal this woman, his faith was about to be tested even more. It must have felt great when Jesus agreed first to go to with him, but now every minute spent waiting and watching Jesus heal the woman meant that Jairus' daughter was closer to death. And sure enough, right then, Jairus got the news that his daughter had died. And the people that told him even said, Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore. Time had run out, or so it seemed. Jesus knew something about time that Jairus didn't know. You see, Jesus exists before all time as co-creator of the universe and the Lord of life. He encouraged Jairus not to be afraid, but to keep having faith, even when it seemed impossible to Jairus. And with his touch and with the power of his word, Jesus commanded Jairus' daughter back to life. Time was not over, and everyone was completely astonished, and Jairus' faith grew even stronger that day. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those that come to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. That same chapter in the Bible goes on to list the many people of faith who died without receiving the full promises of their faith, but they did not give up on the object of their faith, the God that they knew had their best in mind all the way to the end. So when the waiting of life for Jairus and the woman seemed unbearable, they reached out and stayed close to Jesus, and he was able to touch their lives in ways they could only have hoped for. It's never too late to ask Jesus for help. When we stay close to him in waiting, and if we obey his spirit, he will continue to complete the good work of grace that he began in us when we first believed in him. Amen. Thanks, Bill. And as he has mentioned, you know, today is the, the first Sunday of Advent. And really in church history, maybe back to about 400 AD, you, you first hear of the, the church um, not doing Advent like we would do it, but there's using the season before Christmas to prepare. 
to uh, be sure that our hearts and minds and souls are in the, the right place so that when the Christmas celebration comes, we're ready to, to celebrate in, in awe and marvel and wonder and joy and peace that, that God has connected with us. That God has become human to walk among us. To, to demonstrate for us what it means to be fully human, uh, what it means to be connected uh, to God. And that's what we want on Christmas, uh, to, to say, yes, I, I feel and I know and I experience the reality of being connected with God because God has come among us and with us. So, so this Advent season, we're going to prepare by looking at Jesus, some unique elements of his humanity, the fullness of his humanity, and, and then learning from him. How does he connect with the Father in this? What are some practices this season that we can pursue in order to connect with God just like Jesus does? So that we might even be able to emulate, copy how Jesus uh, deals with certain elements of life so that to dem- he, he demonstrates for us how his life is better. Um, we'll look at how he has better words. Uh, we'll look at uh, how he has a better, uh, teaches us how to give better gifts. Um, today, we'll look particularly at how he views time. How he gives us a better perspective on time. Because uh, uh, what we'll see in Jesus today is how it doesn't seem like he's ever in a hurry. He's never rushed. Never caught up in the hustle and bustle. And we'll explore that with him today and and want to emulate it. Because we know, I mean, study over and over and over again tells us, as we eliminate hurry and rush and busyness and the stress that they can bring in our lives, um, as we eliminate that, that actually adds value to our lives. Because when we're in a hurry, when we're under that stress, it, it depletes our capacity to be able to show compassion and care and love to others and to really live in, in the full. So we'll look at Jesus and how in the, these events that, that Bill outlined, and we'll look at here in the passage, how it really demonstrates that Jesus' capacity to live in the midst of the needs of the world, yet so connected to the Father that he really is chill. In all the needs that surround him. Yet not apathetic. But with real activity. Towards the needs of the world. But never in a hurry. So we'll, we'll read um, uh, the, the passage. It's a lengthy one. But it's a, a long story. That Bill summarized for us as well. So you can. Since you're familiar with the journey. You'll really be able to focus on the, the text here. Mark uh, chapter 5. Starting with verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, again, we thank you for your written word that speaks to us of your truth. Uh, now, Lord, will you uh, lead us, um, enable us to hear from you and, and apply it in our own lives, in our own souls, so that we might indeed uh, grow more and more um, like Christ, um, individually and together as a community. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21. 
And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who'd suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The the child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means... Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told her, told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we've heard, as we look at this particular story, we'll walk through, tease some things out, but really focus on Jesus' demeanor um, through this. But you you know the basic characters here, Jairus with his dying daughter and the, the bleeding woman. So Jairus, you know, he was the president of the synagogue. Um, now, in that day, you know, the temple is in Jerusalem, and that's where all the religious sacrifices happen. That's the center of the faith. But then the synagogues are all the churches, basically, teaching centers that spread throughout the world wherever there were followers of Yahweh. 
And uh, um, so Jairus, though, comes and he's the president. He's like the pastor of the local megachurch. Coming in, you know, I mean, so he's the one that gets uh, interviewed, you know, on Christmas Day by the lo- by the Jerusalem press. You know, he's the one on the Jerusalem news that is the, that tells the is the one that gets to say, well, this is what's happening in our day. This is what it means when we have Yom Kippur, you know, those kind of things that that's who Jairus is. He, he's a big wig here. He's an influencer. In the city, and yet he's coming out of desperation to Jesus, saying, My daughter is on death's door. I need you to come touch her. I need you to lay your hands on her so that she will be well. And on top of all the rest of the, the distinction between the two, you know, Jairus from the synagogue, well, by this time, people in the synagogue were not liking Jesus. They were starting to question, well, is Jesus for us or against us? And yet, even then, Jairus comes to him with this huge need. And and we're told in the text that Jesus goes with him. Now, we know that Jesus doesn't have to touch anybody to heal him. I mean, all Jesus has to do is say, be healed, and they'll be healed. And, And we also know Jesus can travel in a variety of ways. I mean, he's already walked on water. And yet, he goes with Jairus on this journey through the village with a crowd around him, the text tells us. Big crowd. So, I mean, there's hundreds of people. And, you know, in those villages in those days, they didn't have cars. They didn't even have use a horse and buggy, really. So the, the pathways were very narrow. So you get a couple hundred people. It's very crowded. It's Finley Market, the Saturday before Thanksgiving. You know, the, the, the riverfront, the, the uh, Labor Day fireworks. You know, I mean, it's that kind of crowd of P- Kings Island on July 4th. You know, I mean, there's just people everywhere. And so in the midst of this crowd, they're going to saunter their way to this, uh, to Jairus's house. And you got to figure the disciples are like, man, this is our chance here. This is the opportunity because we're going to now do this great work. Do this great work for this influencer in our city. we got to get there and go. And yet Jesus goes through the crowd, not in a hurry, to do this great influential work. And, and then we're, we're told then that the... There's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years who has surmised that the way for healing is she just needs to touch Jesus' garment. Now, you have to understand this particular woman, is, as Bill mentioned, a lot of things about her. One is that she was an outcast, an untouchable. I mean, she uh, is bleeding and that bleeding makes her unclean. And it makes anyone who touches her unclean. So no one could touch her. She has not had meaningful physical touch for 12 years. Now, we can relate to that a touch, right? Just a little bit. I mean, We've been in these situations with masks and no touch, no hugging, keeping our distance for nine months. And she's been in that prison for 12 years. She's also financially bankrupt. 
She spent all her money trying to find a cure, trying to be healed, and yet nothing worked. Matter of fact, it made things worse. She's also got to be physically exhausted from facing the suffering and from just the constant loss of blood over 12 years. Fatigued. And yet in the midst of all of that, she breaks all these social norms of being a human lowlife to enter into the crowd out of total desperation, turns to Jesus for healing. And she was right. As we're told that somehow she makes her way through, touches Jesus' garment, and in that moment, she is healed. And Jesus, you know, who's on his way to carry out this mission with Jairus in front, the disciples behind, ready to pull off this, this public relations, um, uh, uh, public relations uh, opportunity of grand healing, stops. Stops, again, not in a hurry. Recognizing that power has left him and in the middle of the crowd says, who touched me? And I love the disciples respond. Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? There are hundreds of people on this, in this crowd all around us. I mean, everybody's touching everybody. Why are we stopping to ask a question of who touched you? Because, you know, they're in a hurry. I'm sure they're, they're saying we don't need to waste time finding out who brushed up against you. Why are we stopping? I mean, it's an insignificant touch. Let's not waste time here. Let's move on. We got bigger fish to fry. Jesus, unaffected by their protest, scans the crowd and waits. Because Jesus never wastes time. He's never in a hurry, never wastes time. He spends time exactly as he needs to. Now, can you imagine in this moment what's going on in that woman's head? For a fleeting five seconds, she has received healing, freedom, liberty from her 12 years of being imprisoned to her disease. Can you imagine what you'll feel, what we'll feel whenever COVID is over and done with? And we can go to stores without masks. We can worship and sit next to one another. And matter of fact, I fully expect when we, that does happen, you will have to sit next to each other. There'll be no sitting in the pews separated once all this is over. Yeah, but can you imagine the celebration? We can have Thanksgiving like we used to and not worry about people traveling back and forth, eat and drink without a mask in total liberty and freedom when that happens. Can, can you imagine the joy that that will bring, the excitement, the relief? Well, multiply that times 12. At least, and that's what this woman is feeling in this moment, the relief and freedom and liberty. She was miraculously healed and then instantly caught. I wonder 
if she would then respond in a hurry, if you're in, if you're in a hurry, what would you, I would like, does she run in that moment? Does she just lay low in that moment? Or does she just engage in the conversation? I don't know. I don't know who touched him. Did he, I, maybe he touched him. That, that she, all those thoughts had to be going through her mind in that moment with Jesus. I can only imagine, but what she does in full trust I guess maybe she just figures, if he has the power to heal me, then he must be good. And she, in fear and trembling, we're told, came before him. Of course she's scared. I mean, she's broken laws, she's broken social norms, she's made other people unclean by touching them, and now she has officially touched Jesus and made him unclean. By the law. But Jesus, never in a hurry, never wastes time, realizes that this woman doesn't just need physical healing. Now, she needs to tell her story. So we're told she needs to tell the whole truth. In the village square for all to hear. We don't know the story. And I think that's on purpose. Because that means we can all put our own story there. And what the woman shows. With Jesus in the midst of whatever disease, whatever brokenness. You can come and tell the whole truth. I mean, we don't know. Is it something that she did that caused this? Something that was done to her that caused a combination of things? And all the stories of all the places she's tried to go uh, to, to purchase her healing that didn't work. The whole story she tells to Jesus in front of the town square. It's not just that she needs to tell it. Jesus needs to hear it. But everybody else does too. Because she's been transformed by Jesus. An unclean, despised village village outcast is now a cleansed, healed, whole woman of faith who is now being honored on stage in front of the village. Did you catch what Jesus called her? Daughter. Daughter. She's now a daughter of the Most High God. And that's proclaimed in front of the whole village with everyone listening. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Her disease has been eliminated and now peace, wholeness, shalom are hers. The full life, full life has been restored. I mean, if they'd been in a hurry... They would have missed this divine appointment. They tried to avoid the crowds. Just rushing through the masses to get to Jairus' daughter. They would have missed this opportunity. Now Jesus is never in a hurry. He never wastes time. But then, after, after this healing, word comes that Jairus' daughter is dead. And... The folks say, you know, don't, to Jairus, don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's too late. The time for healing has passed. 
at Jesus, who's not in a hurry, doesn't waste time. Matter of fact, Jesus, we'll see, is always right on time. He's never too late. He overhears the comments and says, Don't fear. Only believe, he tells Jairus. Harkening back to what the woman demonstrated. What the woman has demonstrated. The belief, the faith, the trust that she has shown. Not living in fear. Overcoming the fear, but living in faith. Now you, you do the same. Believe, trust in me. Because I'm never too late. And Jesus shows up at Jairus' house in the midst of the commotion of all the mourners. Now, the, the mourners are there. They're doing their thing. I mean, and these mourners are usually, they, they go to, to funeral settings at places of death. And they gather to mourn. Some of them are even pay the professional mourners. So, so they know what death is. And they know what they're supposed to do as part of the gathering around the family at the, the time of death. And, and so they're, they're doing their thing, what they're supposed to be doing. At the death of a 12-year-old girl. But Jesus walks in the midst of the, the chaos and the commotion and says, She's not dead. She's asleep. To which they respond, You know, we know what dead is. We've seen dead. And they laugh and say, What are you talking about? And then we're told, takes a few of the believers and mom and dad, goes in, touches the girl's hand. And she is raised from the dead walking around the midst of them. And immediately, we're told, that the group that is there is overcome with amazement. Immediately, it's a humongous, ecstatic astonishment. The, the exact words that are used, there's three words that, that capture this moment that they've lost their senses and lost their mind. It's this huge emotional confusion and reaction at this time. You got mourners. Some are still crying. Some are laughing at Jesus. And then in the midst of all of that, in this inner room, the family and other disciples are utterly amazed. They, They lost their mind at what Jesus has done. And yet Jesus, in the midst of all the commotion, is still not in a hurry. He's right on time. He's the only one that still has his wits about him. Because I love the closing, the parting comments. As he leaves the room, what does he say? Hey, she's hungry. Get her lunch. I guess it takes a lot out of you to die for a little bit and be raised. He's never in a hurry. He never wastes time. He's never too late. And, And it's not that he's oblivious to the needs of the world. Sometimes we can not be in a hurry just because we're apathetic. Sometimes uh, we can not uh, worry about time because we're, we're selfish or just insulated or closed off. Or just we've died to the needs of the world. We've overwhelmed. That's not, what, that's not the kind of the way that Jesus is engaging with time. He, he, he's never in a hurry. He, he's never too late. He never wastes his time. But it allows him to be fully present with the power of God and the needs of the world right around him, no matter what the commotion. For all of us, for any of us who are here, who are watching this now or at any time, know this, 
that in your life, you may feel at times it's too late. You've wasted your time. You've wasted your life. That No, it's never too late for Jesus. You may think it's too chaotic. It's too crazy. There's no way to bring meaning out of my chaotic situation. No. It's never too chaotic and too crazy for Jesus. He is fully present in the midst, connected to the power of God. And connected to the needs of the world. For you, for me, for us, it's never too late. It's never too chaotic. It's never a waste of time for Jesus to enter into your life, to bring healing and wholeness. He says to us the same that he says to the, to the, to Jairus and the same that the woman demonstrates. Believe, trust in me. The other thing I want us to consider is how do we emulate this way of Jesus? I mean, in the midst of the needs, and the chaos and the confusion, the crowds and the noise, the rush. How does Jesus keep such a right view of time? Such an even pace? It's because, as I mentioned, he has that connection with the Father. He, he demonstrates the depth of his human character because of his connection with the Father. I want, I want us this week to, to practice a spiritual discipline together. I invite you to do so. This first week of Advent, that we're, we're preparing for that celebration of Jesus' birth, that God comes among us to connect with us. Now, how, how do we, like Jesus, view time rightly? I think one of the ways is slowing down. The discipline of slowing a habit that we can practice um, together that will help us engage with our world connected to God in faith and not in fear. On your way out, you're going to get a handout. It's at the top, it'll say slowing. Advent 2020, slowing. And you can read there some passages there, definition of there. There's some questions, reflection questions in, in your own life. Like questions like this. How do you feel about being stuck behind cars that go slowly? How do you react to a slow sales clerk or slow internet Wi-Fi connection? What is your reaction to a yellow traffic light? Uh, some of those kind of questions. That just how, how do we engage the world around us rushing through? What's the discipline of slowing down? And it gives you then a couple spiritual exercises to, to try one or two in the week. One is to open the day, as you open your day, as you awaken, the, the first thing, go to God's Word. Read a psalm for the day. And give the day to God. Another is to make some habits uh, this week of, of particularly slowing. Drive in the slow lane. Uh, if you go shopping uh, appropriately, find the longest line. 
and get in that. Yeah, just some practices of slowing and waiting and being in tune with yourself and with life. So there's a few things along those lines. This week, the discipline is slowing. Now, um, Monday, throughout this Advent as well, we'll have a pastoral Zoom call. That's uh, Monday evenings from 6.30 to 7.30. And one of the things that we'll talk about is particularly the discipline uh, of the week, the, the habit that we want to develop. And invite, if you want to be a part of, of that, just email info at chpc.org and I'll send you the Zoom uh, link uh, to that call. But every Monday, 6.30 to 7.30, uh, for these next four weeks, uh, we'll have um, just a time of... Uh, Discussion and, and sharing some of our reactions uh, if you've had a chance in the 24, 36 hours um, even to look at the, the page. Um, we'll explore that uh, together. And, and our prayer, our hope, is that as we engage in this kind of discipline that our trust and faith in Jesus Connecting with God will will be enhanced by our slowing down. It may seem like that we're too late or we're, we're missing out, but the discipline for a season of slowing down will give us an experience of knowing ourselves and our natural tendencies, our internal clocks, or make us aware of the, the clocks around us but will enable us to be in tune with God's clock, with Jesus' sense of timing. One who's never in a hurry, who never wastes time, and is never too late. May we connect with God similarly as we slow down. Amen.